Hello and welcome to the Tacona Morning Drive podcast. This episode going out a little bit later than normal. I'm aiming for every couple of weeks. Uh, unfortunately, life does get in the way a little bit while Tacona's not a full-time thing. Um, but this week I am joined by Craig Cheatham. Now, not everybody might know that name immediately off the bat until you start learning a little bit more about just how involved in the car world Craig is. Now, the reason that we were sat together is because he was writing a piece for Practical Classics magazine about Tacona and about the uh, the Renault 5. So we took the opportunity to sit down, have a bit of a catch-up and a bit of a chat and to uh, create a lovely episode of the podcast. So without any further ado, away we go. So I'll, I've clicked record now. Cool. I'm reminding you at this point to just breathe and you'll find it flows much more comfortably for you. No worries. Um, it's probably going to be heard by about six people, so bear that in mind. You, you don't have to worry about anyone it's having an opinion. Standard size audience for my stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's about <laughs> the same as what I get. I know that I get ripped by Luke for being an influencer, but there's only like six people that actually listen to anything that I say. Um, there's no need to It's really... better than zero. It is better than zero and hopefully it will grow um, yeah. and that will mean that more people have a positive take on life because I'm trying to do something positive. Um, but I'm joined today by Craig, Craig Cheatham. It is indeed. It is Cheatham. Cheatham, yeah. Um, I'm terrible at remembering names. And again, that always ends up with me getting ripped because people go, oh, you meet so many people because you're an influencer. <laughs> you never remember anyone's names. The fact of the matter is I'm a car guy, so I remember people's cars. See, I, I could only dream of being an influencer. I've been in the car industry now for 20 years. Right. Started my career as a motoring journalist. Uh, uh, actually started my career as a junior writer on the Stockport Messenger newspaper back in uh, when you were like two or something. And, <laughs> how many years have you been doing it? 24. So I was four. Yeah, yeah four. Um, so that, that's, that's how I started off and um, uh, that came from, I uh, wanted to be a journalist at a very early age and uh, it never occurred to me that I could combine passion with cars with Desire to be a journalist. So I started my career as a local newspaper reporter and ended up doing all the usual local newspaper reporter stuff, which is <laughs> going out and, you know, lost cats. and Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's raining a lot today. Yeah, <laughs> and then the, the, the less pleasant side of it, which is knocking on the doors of people when they've just lost people and this and the other. Oh, and I realised that if I wanted to stay in news journalism, I'd have to get less and less ethical. And you only have to look at the news media today to, to see how... Um, how, how the media has a bad name for a good reason. And yeah, yeah. I didn't want to get sucked into that. I, I wanted to write. I wanted to tell stories. That's why I wanted to be a journalist. And I was really, really lucky because in uh, when I was 19, my editor, uh, who... Uh, it's quite a funny story, actually. He'd, um, he'd been banned from driving because, uh, like a, very many newspaper editors of his era, he, he like used, to, drink. <laughs> used to enjoy a drink at lunchtime. And he... he um, <laughs> He lost his license as a result of this, shall we say. And he'd been invited to the um, the launch of the new Jaguar XJ oh, nice. at the, the local dealership in Stockport. And he didn't want to admit to the dealer principal that he'd lost his license because the dealer was quite a big advertiser with the newspaper. So he said to me, he was the office boy, he said, oh, you like cars, don't you, Craig? Yeah, he goes... He says, right, he says, I'm going to pitch it that I want to be chauffeured around in this Jag because that's the way you should travel in a Jag. <laughs> so you're going to come with me and you're going to drive the car. Um, and that was my first experience of being a motion journalist. And it was all down to, to Phil losing his license. And um, you got to drive an XJ around. Yeah, I got to drive an XJ at the age of 18, 19, whatever I was at the time. Uh, and that for me was 
the first break. Um, a couple of years later, I ended up working uh, in Peterborough for one of the classic car titles. Oh, lovely. Um, as a trainee writer. Uh, and then I did five years on Auto Express as a road tester. That's news brilliant. Writer. It was really cool. Um, and then in 2005, I moved into PR working for General Motors. Uh, so I did uh, quite a lot of times as uh, press officer for Vauxhall, then head of PR for Chevrolet UK. Wow. Essentially from cradle Not to grave. Not a very big team, really, though, is it, Chevrolet? No, no. And then, uh, <laughs> but then in 2013, I went out to Australia. I was um, director of communications for GM Holden. Wow. For a year and a half. That's a big one in Australia. It's isn't a big it? one, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they told me I was going out there to, to launch two cars, not close two factories, but that's it's by the by. You know, you live and learn. <laughs> uh, so it was a corporate PR grounding, came back to the UK, closed Chevrolet Europe, um, then worked for um, uh, uh, an independent PR company for a while and set up on my own a few years ago. And um, split my time now between doing bits and pieces of automotive PR and then my real passion, which is still writing about old cars and the people that. that exist around our cars which is amazing what drew me into it in the first place there's something that's aspirational to be fair like i know a lot of people that i personally meet within the yeah. car world and a lot of people generally that there's always this mystique as to how do i get into the car world like how do i write and how do i do and the, the advice that seems to pop up most is just write stuff and throw it at people and see that's if anyone wants to do to it be honest, yeah i mean i never really had a a plan to do it, it just kind of happened and you know, I count my lucky stars every day that I've been able to make a career working around something that, that I've always loved. But the, I mean, the PR side of it was different. That that was something that I grew into and learned as a, a skill and a you know it was a, essentially a proper career. Because one thing you, you don't realise, I guess, is that unless you're you're going to be Jeremy Clarkson or James May or someone like that, you're never going to make a fortune being yeah. a motoring writer. Um, and that's why the really good ones remain because the really good ones stay because they love it, not because they're making a fortune. Yeah, um, and that. That's why you get your, you know, your traditionally brilliant motoring writers who people always remember. Um, I think as, as the media is evolving um, and social media is such a big part and influencers like you could self yeah. are, um, yeah. <laughs> are becoming more and more part of that way we communicate. It's changed. It's not changed in a bad way. It's just changed in a way that's made things yeah, very Yeah, it's a whole new world really, isn't it? Like you've yeah. got the likes of, let's say, Car Throttle, who are yeah, three yeah. guys with the, the similar formula to like Top Gear, three guys, three personalities that... That go around and do interesting things with cars, and then the website is its own editorial like vehicle, and well, it's captured a whole new audience. They, they started out when I was working in PR, and it was all, all new back then. You know, the, yeah. the whole idea of you know YouTube was was not a huge thing, particularly back then. Um, but they started out, and they were one of the first sort of automotive influencer groups. Yeah. And I remember working in a multinational car manufacturer and they're going what do we do about influence we, we, we don't really know what they do we can't yeah, yeah. we can't measure them you know it came from a back then uh, the days of print journalism it was very very easy to, to value the coverage that you got because you knew how much it was to advertise in yeah. you know the Sunday Times or something uh, and then you could evaluate the coverage you'd had in a road test to go that was worth X amount um, suddenly along comes this brand new more exciting more engaging more user friendly way of doing stuff and you can't value it. And for companies that, that run as big corporations who place a value on everything, yeah, yeah, they didn't know how to handle it. They still don't to this day. They haven't got a clue most of them. There's a, a real flip side to it as well. So obviously doing what I do, I have some involvement with car magazines. And obviously the yep. reason that we've met up today is for Practical Classics yep. and my lovely little Renault. Um, the, the flip side of it is I have been approached by a few to advertise in magazines. Yep. And I always say, well, how do I measure? Like, I can't do a click-through rate from your paper magazine. I can't yeah. see that 20,000 people have seen it and 1,000 people have clicked on it and come to my website. It just, 
amalgamates into my direct traffic. Whereas with online stuff, I can put an Instagram post and boost it for however much. And I can see exactly how many of the people have seen it, have then clicked on it, and then have bought something. And I've got a tangible timeline of everything that's happened. Whereas with a paper magazine, the difficulty there is that 20,000 people could see it, and 10,000 people could have gone to my website because of it. But it's hard to go, well, are those 10,000 people from the magazine, or have they seen the car fiction video with the t-shirt in, or have they seen a podcast so or like, how do we figure yeah. out where this source has come from it's so hard to measure i think i think we're actually getting to a point now where i mean if you look back 10 years ago uh print and digital um were potentially seen as rivals i don't know if that was the right way to look at it but it was seen that way in, in a lot of ways because print could see something on the horizon that was was terrifying and threatening to, to damage the industry yeah uh and it did and it did massively damaged the print industry, but the print industry has survived at its own level. And I think that's because um, whether it's cars that you're into or you've got a different hobby, there's always going to be a level by which there are still people who are going to want a printed magazine. Yeah, um, yeah. I hope so, because I love I love print. I love the craft of, you know, putting a magazine feature together and, you know, including the photography and I love you know, the print quality well. of writing. The, the depth of writing that you don't generally get online because the, the, the big, probably the big difference between print and online is the dwell time. Yeah. Um, in the, if you don't grab someone's attention online within the first two seconds, they've gone. Yeah, yeah. Whereas and then you're print, bombarded with adverts all at the yeah, same exactly. time as well, aren't you? Whereas in print, it's in the doctor's waiting room, it's in the downstairs loo or wherever it is. People have got a bit more time and they're a bit more patient and they like to read it. And also, it's just a different demographic. Some people still love to, yeah, to read the, more in depth. There's somewhat of a, a renaissance happening around print with the yeah. likes of, say, like the Road Rat magazine or Magneto, things like that, people yeah. will sit and read long-form yeah. articles. Yeah. In their sense, they are articles, but they're, they're editorial pieces. Like yeah. I, I'm very bad at it at the minute because I'm working myself to the grave at this rate. Um, but I've been trying to take the first hour of my day to sit down with a cup of coffee and yeah. read and I'll try and leave my phone in another room and out the way and start my day, like get up, have a shower, make a cup of coffee, sit down and read for an hour and just have no bombardment of information from other sources. And I think as more people realise the value in that, not that I'm pioneering this as a concept, but more people are going to start leaning away from social media all the time and being online all the time, there will be hopefully a much sharper increase in people... Reading in isolation is good for you. Yeah, it's it's wonderful because you you just you as you say you divert your brain away from all the other interactions and it's fine. You, know, you can say okay, I'm going to read something online, but it's so so easy to yeah. be drawn away by clicking through to something else or you know you you see something else on on your feed that you want to read and suddenly you're not doing what you intended to do. I'm, yeah. I'm my own worst enemy. I'll, I'll lie down on the sofa of an evening with my book and I'll get my phone out. And when I go to bed, the book will still be there on the coffee table. Yeah, and yeah. I'll be really annoyed with myself for not picking up and reading it. Yeah, exactly. But, and it's it's easy to slip into... Because that's what they're designed to do, is to distract you. Yeah. And like even trying to work on a laptop, you go, oh, I just need to get a photo off my phone to send to my laptop. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, how am I on Instagram? Yeah, it's happened, doesn't it? But then, you know, it's in, 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 other, in other ways, and, and in some truly, truly brilliant ways, I mean, the, the likes of Instagram, um, YouTube, Facebook... They've brought together people who would never have met. I mean, I, yeah. I have a group of friends who I talk to on a more or less daily basis, and we we've 
got to know each other through a common love of cars from the 1990s. This is the, the one thing that, yeah. that, that bonds us. We'll get on to that in a minute. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we've, we've become really good mates. And actually, when we first met each other, we'd probably known each other for two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we met in person at a car event, and, and suddenly it's like, I'm glad you're like I thought you were like. You know, yeah. <laughs> you never, never fully judge someone's persona, can you, until you've met them. But, no, exactly. Um, and the, the growth of as much as I hate to say the influencer culture, which I'm mm. somewhat part of now, especially doing this. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you influencing bastard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, it's, it's nice to a certain extent. I think it's one of those where you have to, you have to know the appropriate use of it. Yeah. And the more people learn that, the better it will become because it's very easy to, dwell on all the negative parts of it but there is a big side of it that brings people together like the backroads guys or the backroads tm as they will definitely listen to this and they will pick up on it now that they've got a trademark if i don't say tm and then they'll sue me for a million pounds um we met here by chance but they saw the car and went oh i know that car from my instagram and then i saw their videos and went oh i know those two from that and it creates like a warm start rather than a, oh, who are you kind of thing. It's a, oh, I I know who you are to some degree. And the weird part of that is as kind of Tacona grows and by default, I become more well-known for it. I then meet people that know a lot about me before I've even met them. And it's a weird thing is it's it's started happening bits and bobs and you go to like a little car event and someone goes, oh yeah, how's how's that going? I'm like... I've never met you before, but you know that I'm doing that thing because I talk about it. I'm, I'm fairly well known in, in social media circles for my love of underdog cars, should we say. Yeah. And uh, I remember the first time I went to the um, the Festival of the Unexceptional. Oh, I missed out on going to that. Okay, you've got I really to go. wanted I mean, to go it, and I missed it's out. It's an absolute it. sea of crap cars and it's wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's one of the coolest things. I mean, the Renault 5 would, would be oh, it, so at home there. It would have been um, fairly common there, I'd imagine. No, not, not, <laughs> nothing, nothing there's fairly common, but it'd certainly be... Uh, very popular you know, yeah, star yeah. attractions, um, and I, I went there. Uh, what did I take? I took my. Um, I went to the Renault Nineteen Chamard that I had at the oh, time because everyone's got to have you know something like that at some point. Yeah, um, and you sort of go along and you um, see all these other cars, and you realise you're not alone. Yeah, but the worst thing about that was that I was in a field of which there were probably probably about five hundred people there. It's quite quite a big event. For, yeah, yeah. For the, the, the size of the, you know the 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 audience that there is for those cars. And there must have been about a dozen people came up to me during that day to say hello who knew who I was. <laughs> and I'd never met them. Yeah. I didn't know who the hell they were. And most of them were lovely, you know, don't get me wrong, but it was like, hell, these people know me just because they know, they recognise me from... From doing car things. From doing car things and posting about the cars I've owned. And, I, you know, I do have far too many cars. So, you know, <laughs> when I post about one car they'll ask me about another one that i've got and yeah yeah i've got a, a small niche microclimate of crap car spotting yeah so you know steve c whose twitter is chod spot oh yes yeah of course yeah he's yeah. got a very much more recognized that's his thing yeah. but because my day job is out and about all the yeah. time i see a lot of old cars that are yeah. kind of crap yeah um, or unexceptional shall we say so I, I see that every time I open my curtains. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've got this little thing where I, I'll try and, if I spot something, I'll try and take a photo of it. Like yeah. I'll park up and I'll just take a photo. And it's getting a little bit, I'm getting a little bit known for that as well. Yeah. Like there's a 
a couple of Facebook groups about like cars rotting away on driveways or yes. cars you didn't know existed anymore and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And I've had posts on there that have had like thousands Fair, of likes. Fairly familiar with, with all of them and indeed the people that run them. But, yeah, so. and they get real like, if you find, so I saw, um, I came across like a, it was an old Mercedes like, workshop in inverted yeah. commas. It's this old guy that used to do a lot and he's just accumulated about 250 Mercedes in a field. And I put a photo of a few of these up and you just get (laughs) inundated on messages like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I'm like, oh, it's here. Just I've spoke to the guy. He's not selling any of them. You're wasting your breath, but have at it. Fair dues to you. One of of the most most amusing ones I've had in in the past two or three years, I've got a friend called Sam. He's probably probably about 15 years younger than me. And um, we sort of started talking, uh, I think, originally on Instagram uh, because he was posting... His spots, he spots cars around sort of Reading and um, right, right, right. That, that kind of area uh, and sort of commenting on each other's spots and this like the other. We worked out that we had almost identical taste in cars. <laughs> now, it's not conventional taste in cars yeah. in that they're the cars that most people would probably run a mile from, with the odd exception. Uh, certain things <laughs> like 90s BMWs and 90s Alfa Romeos, I think everyone likes. Everyone, there, yeah. There's some more obscure stuff in there as well that we're both into. And... Over the past two years, I would say there've probably been about fifteen cars that have sequentially had his name and my name on the V five, oh, either wow. one way or the other. Um, to the extent that we've even, uh, when he's been at work, I've just sort of left a car in his work car park and driven off in a different one. Um, we've not even met. We've just gone. No, just I'm bored of that. To... I'm bored of that. And we just swap. And it's it's great to have that kind of you know, you do with cheap cars. It's just the excitement of. of having something new to drive. Yeah, well, this is the thing about the car world is that you just find people that you connect with because yeah. of this shared passion for cars. Like, Absolutely. How many cars is it you said that you've got up at yours now? Uh, I don't 100% know the answer to that question, which tells you all you need to know. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, there's there's going to be uh, more than 45. Right, okay. More than 45. Split between, uh, I've got a few at home and I've got um, two storage areas. I've got workshop and I've also just got a a compound that I keep others in. A lot of them are cars Amazing. that I just rescued that would have been scrapped otherwise. Yeah. And in fairness, they may end up being scrapped because they're not good enough to save, but I've stepped in and grabbed them at the time to at least, if nothing else, save parts for other people yeah. that are restoring cars. So what's on the list then? Sorry? What's on the list that you can recall? Depends how long you've got. I mean, the, I know you've already shown me the Micro that you rescued out yeah, of the Yeah, so hedge. I've got a, a 1993 Micro that, that started first time after 16 years in a hedge, so that had to be, uh, <laughs> had to be rescued. I've got... Quite a few Rovers um, and Fiats, uh, which is part of my own background because I used to work in a dealership that looked after them, uh, well, represented both brands. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of familiar with them from a very early age. Uh, I think I've got the oldest Rover 400 Mark II in existence, wow. which nobody apart from me would get excited about owning. <laughs> uh, I've also got half a dozen Jaguars. Well, Luke would like. end of the scale. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of Alfa Romeos, several Fiats. Uh, Do you Fiat- have a Fiat Panda? Um, I sold my Panda. I've oh. got an Uno now, though. I've got a 1987 Uno, which would be perfect twin test. Same age yeah. yeah. We'll have to bring it up and do a little video together. Um, yeah, twin test. That'd be fun. See if it breaks down first. Yeah, hopefully uh, not the Renault, because I'm trying to not. <laughs> I'm trying to stop it from doing that as much as possible. But I, um, I mean, I, the, the, these are the cars I grew up with. I, I was a bit like yourself from from a very very early age. Cars were such a massive part of my life. Yeah. Um, I mean, according to my parents, the first word I said was car. Brilliant. Uh, and it, it kind of snowballed from there, really. Um, at the age of three, I got my first lot of toy cars. <laughs> By the time I was 
about 14, I'd say I probably had about 10,000 toy cars. Um, <laughs> 30 years on, I've probably got about 50,000 and I still buy them. Do you? So, <laughs> wow, I haven't got space. I've got no, like not do three. I. In fact, I've, I've got an office, I'll call it an office, in, in, in my house, which is, it would have been, um, when, it, when I first moved into it, it would have been quite a sizable bedroom. Right. Uh, and now there's room for a chair and a desk and the rest of it is just full of car-related stuff. Oh, uh, and the rest of the family just pretend that room's not there. And, you know, they, they can get on with their lives and just leave me to it. Well, and, at least uh, you've got the space to, to yeah, have your passion in, in I mean, there. I, I do occasionally get into trouble for leaving car parts lying around the house. Um, in fact, I frequently get into trouble for leaving car parts lying around the house. That's which, the thing with being a car guy, though. That happens all the time. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like, the, my the, living room is the Tacona corner at the minute because we don't have space for a dedicated... Like, I haven't got a garage or an office or anything like that um, because we very stupidly moved to quite a, an expensive area. So <laughs> one of the beauties of having as many cars as I do is that if you run out of space in the house, you've got all those boots to fill. Yeah. So I've got car parts everywhere. everywhere. Every single one is an extended storage space. Oh, So I, I've suggested that we bring Liam and Jared up to do like a, yep. a Backroads video or the Backroads TM as they're going to do it again. Um, but the, the thing that I can see being the trouble point is Liam is a like clean freak. He's like every video of him. He is can bring him. his cleaning gear with him. He's being... But the thing is, is he going to have like a panic attack when he gets there and there's just parts all over? He's like, oh. To be fair, with, with the with the cars that I use on a regular basis, and I always keep um, seven or eight cars on the road at any given time. It's about as many right. as I could, I could afford to tax yeah. an MOT. But I do tend to rotate them uh, throughout the year. So in the collection, there's probably about 25 roadworthy cars, of which a third of them are on the road at any given time. That's not realistic. too bad. Then that should keep him happy. Like I was yeah. chatting with Luke about this yesterday. He's got, he's calling it the 2.5k challenge, I think. Yep. So he's got a selection of Decadence. his cars yep. that he's got to do two and a half thousand miles in in yep. the year. And if he doesn't complete two and a half thousand miles in it, it's because he doesn't like the car enough. And he should sell it. That's his challenge. Is he's because he's rotating. Yeah, he's rotating through the cars that he can drive out of the myriad of them that he's got knocking yeah. about. And if he can't get them to two and a half thousand miles in a year, mm. it means that he doesn't like it enough to want to drive it often enough. So then he should sell it. You see, I do, I do 50,000 miles a year probably, um, travel all over. And I do it all in old cars, or older cars, I should say. Yeah. Um, and I very rarely have to service a car because... I've got that many that none of them cover a huge mileage. Yeah, yeah. I know so, what you mean. For the you know, service I, I do, do what needs to do. But you, you do, and, you, and you, you'll have felt this yourself. Occasionally, occasionally you get a car that you expect nothing from. Yeah. And is so much better than you expect it to be. Uh, and you get the other, you know, the flip side of that. You get a car you've always wanted and it really, really disappoints you. Well, I've not had but, that many cars, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, my 86 I've had for five years. And yeah. up until last year, it was my only car. And then I got the Renault. And I went in with the Renault fully expecting it to be what it is. And that's a cheap, small car that I can throw at every corner at full attack and giggle my head off as I come out the other side, only doing 20 mile an hour. And that's exactly what it was. And I've not had an experience like a lot of people in the car world where they go, I went and bought the BMW M car of my dreams and it was a letdown. Because I've I've never been able to afford to do it. <laughs> I've had the eighty six. It's been everything I needed from it, and it's brilliant. The flip side of that: a couple of years ago, um, I picked up a Honda Accord that belonged to a friend of mine, and uh, it was a what two thousand two thousand one Honda Accord one point eight automatic. All right. Which you would never, on paper, get the slightest bit excited about. And this car was was like you know it was his aunt's car. He didn't want it to be scrapped. Would I give him three hundred quid for it? And yeah. I what? It's a sob story. I'm a sucker for a sob story, <laughs> and, and I, I could 
it was committed to winter, and uh, quite often in the winter, I'll buy myself a you know an old snotter to drive around in, yeah. not worry too much about the stuff that I really care about. So I thought that'll do the job. I'll have that. Um, so I picked up this Honda Accord, expecting me to be bored of it within a week. And over the next six months, me and that car did twenty five thousand miles. Wow! Because fell it was in love with just it. so good. Yeah. Um, I wasn't expecting to be. I thought it'd be really boring. And it's one of the most comfortable cars I've ever driven. Yeah. It was effortless. You know, you stuck it into drive. And, and actually, you know, you doing a lot of travel on the M25 at that time. It was just perfect, perfect. for the job. So much so that, that when it unfortunately um, was not really viable to get through another MOT at the, uh, the end of its life... I went and found myself a top-spec Accord Type V <laughs> with a 2.3 VTEC in it, nice. which is a car I'd never have looked for. If it weren't for that. And it's brilliant. It's one of my favourites in the collection. Amazing. So, uh, I thought it was just occurred to me that I know of an M-Reg Mondeo <laughs> for sale for about 700 quid, and it looks like it's really tidy. Oh, you should do it. Well, I don't want it, but no, you but might, I'm, I'm you might say it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> too many. I've got too many. But you said old so, Fords aren't your bag, really, are they? Well, so, so no, I mean, I've, I've got three of them, but I'm, I'm not really... There's I'm, not 15, so they're definitely... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, nothing, nothing against them. A, the, the, the beauty of, of any type of car is that the, the passion for it comes from the same place. So, yeah. you know, whether you've got a highly modified Ford or if you've got... You know, a, a Honda Accord 1.8 or, or you've got an Austin 7 or something like that. Yeah. The passion comes from exactly the same place. It's a passion for, for cars and the culture that goes with cars. And it's a global uh, phenomenon as well. I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. You, know, a, you look at what, what happens over here. When I lived in Australia, it was exactly the same. Yeah, yeah and just the um, likes of, say, like Mighty Car Mods, they really demonstrate just how much passion there is for it yeah. over there. And America obviously has a huge yeah. passion for it. And it's a global thing. And the things that I always find fun, so there's... I'm in the little Renault 5 owners yep. Facebook group. There's a guy on there from, I think, Iran. <laughs> and he has, and it's not a Renault 5, yep. it's basically a Mazda, I think it's a Mazda, you know, the 131 that was effectively the Ford Fiesta. Oh, the 131, yeah, yeah. So yep. I, I think it's one of those, but it's got a Renault 5 body. <laughs> but it was, that's how it was built. So because it's not, the same size as yeah. the 5 it's got flared arches to fit the wheels on, yeah. and it's got a 1.3 injected yeah. engine, but a Renault 5 body, basically, yeah. so the whole shell, doors, bonnet, everything, except for the bumpers and the arches, and this guy's in a run, he's like, this is like the only one left, but I'm keeping it going, and it's like a bronzy beige colour, and it's brilliant, legend. but it's That's this global community of enthusiasts, and the... the uh, Odd things that pop up from it. For me, it's the it's the real oddball and quirky cars that, that I like the most. Um, yeah, you know the, the the underdogs, the forgotten cars, the the rare survivors. Yeah, me um, too. You know they they really appeal to me to the extent that if one's for sale and it looks like it's in imminent danger, I am the, usually the person that uh, <laughs> steps in. So if anybody wants something unusual, um, feel free to get in touch. Uh, yeah, because I, I have too many. Realistically, I'll never <laughs> restore them all. So you know. Well, the thing is, if you find. An interesting quirky car that most people would glance over, yep. and you bump into the owner and you show some enthusiasm. That person's day is then made because they'll probably have the enthusiasm you have. That's why they have it. Yep. But if you go, oh my god, a Mazda one two one, for example, there's like nobody knows what they are unless you know what they are. If you found someone with a Mazda one two one and went, holy crap, a Mazda one two one, you legend. You'd be their best friend. That's yeah, it. That's yeah. their day made because they'd be like, oh my god, you know what this is for a star. I think this reminds me of the most surreal car buying experience I've had, and this, this was, it was only last year. I bought um, 
a, a Y registered uh, Jaguar X type, three right. liter, uh, which is one of the very, very first of the X types. And it's a car that I have a personal connection to because when I started writing for Auto Express, uh, it was the first new car launch I was given to cover. Oh, nice. So I went on the press launch of the car in France. I've still got a little pewter model of the, the X-Type that we were given as a, <laughs> a, a handout. And uh, I, I've still got the original press kit and everything. And the fact that this was a Y-Reg really early car, first week of production, and it was black and it was a three-litre sport, which was the spec to have. And I saw it, I was like, you know what? I quite fancy that. And it was just down the road from me. Um, and it was advertised for £1,000 on Facebook Marketplace. And if, if ever you're going to sell a car, don't. Don't no. advertise on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> um, uh, don't sue me, Facebook, but it, it brings out all the... Um, well, that's where I got yeah. the Renault from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but by the time somebody articulate turns up with a vague intention of buying your car, if you're the seller, you will, you will give it to them. Yeah. Just, just because of the, 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 the crap you have to deal with. And, and this chap, that had this, he'd had this X-Type for 14 years. He'd spent a fortune maintaining it. And he was only asking £1,000 for it. And he had every phone call going, you know, what's your best price? I'll give you 300 quid. Yeah. I'll take it away, this and the other. And, and, and he was at the point where he was going to give up. And I phoned him up and I said, I'm really interested because I, I've got a connection to this car, you know, and I, I know it's an early one and I know it's a three-litre. And, yeah. and um, I went to look at it. We got chatting. And in the end, he was haggling me down on price. <laughs> so I said, oh, I said, I'll give you a grand for it. I'm not going to argue. He goes, no, I want you to have it. I want you to have this car. I said, well, how much do you want for it, Graham? He said, no, no, have it. Take it. So in the end, I had to force some money on him to take it away. Brilliant. Well, that's probably appreciated that it's going to the right place. Well, I mean, from, from the house he was in, he probably, you know, £1,000 probably didn't make a huge difference to him, but right. it was the, the principle, really. I don't yeah, know, I yeah, yeah. Well, I think a lot of people find that as well. If you are a genuine person that is genuinely enthusiastic about something that they care about, they would rather it go to you for less money, say, than to someone that will give them more, but will chop it up and pull all the bits off it, and oh, but probably not appreciate saying it. this. I've probably got about twenty cars that I'll happily give away if they go to the right home. Yeah, yeah. So, God, if I had more space, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't we all do the same? <laughs> yeah, my other half would hate me. To be fair, mine already does. Yeah. Well, we're we're only four years in, so there's time. Uh, we, to be fair, when we bought a house, she deliberately bought a house without a driveway. Right. Because she knew that if we had a driveway, It'd be full of we wouldn't have a driveway anyway. It'd be, it'd yeah. just be full. Um, so I have to store them away from home. But that, that kind of works because it allows me to keep my... Um, and then you can go and do the things. And it's not like yeah. it's in your driveway and you open the door and you have to look at it and go, oh, another it, job for me to do. The only <laughs> problem is finding the time to do those things, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll get three jobs done a year when I've got a to-do list that's got 500 jobs on it. But Well, you're a busy guy, though, to be fair. So yeah. on, on the, that side of things, obviously... <laughs> You've, we're together because you're writing a piece yep. for Practical Classics, but what other things are you involved with that people might have heard of? So at the moment, I've got a couple of things on, on the go. I'm editing MG Enthusiast magazine, yep. uh, which again comes from my connections with MG Rover back in the day. Um, so that's, that's a big passion of mine uh, at the moment. I also work uh, with a couple of PR clients uh, that I work for in the automotive industry. Yeah. Um, helping them generate their new strategy, which is all part of my, uh, I guess, professional background. Yeah, um, yeah. It's your pays the bills, anyway. But uh, the, the passion for me is, is, is definitely in writing about cars and, uh, and, and doing things with cars yeah. and travelling with cars because the, the, the freedom that you get yeah, yeah. from just having a means of going from one place to another <laughs> well, it's, freely whenever you choose to. You should never, ever under, underestimate what I, a car gives you. In that I respect. don't think people appreciate that enough, to be fair. No. Like, for me, my first car, 
again, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times, my old Mini, that was my escape from what was quite a turbulent time. Yeah. And it was, I was, I grew up in the countryside where there's yep. not very many places that you can access without a car. All, all entirely relatable. Yep. Um, and it was going through hell, got my first car, right, I can escape, I can just go and yep. I can get away from all this and it's my sense of freedom and it's mine and nobody can take this away from me because I bought it and it's my thing. And then it used to break down endlessly and I was like, oh great, I'm stuck. <laughs> well, I remember I'd go out in my car when, when I was 17, 18, I had a, had a bright orange Allegro. Oh, my Mini was bright orange. How, how to be cool. <laughs> and I'd go out for a drive and my parents would be like, well, where are you going? They'd be like, just go for a drive. Yeah. I don't really know. I'm just going for a drive. Yeah, yeah. And they I'm, could never understand that. I got the same. It's like, what no, are you doing? Nobody in my family's car enthusiast. I don't know where the hell I got it from. Um, <laughs> it was just, to them, a car was a means of, of going from one place to another. And my, my love of kind of old bangers and under, under, underdogs comes from the fact that my dad could never afford a very good car. So you just grew up with old so cars? So I just grew up with a yeah. 10-year-old car on the drive. And that, that to me, is just stuck yeah well it's it's where you find your passions and i think there's a lot to be said for going for a drive just yep. like the difficulty often is well it's the cost of fuel is now the thing that limits yeah, yeah. most people from just doing that like when i was first driving i'd just go and explore all the roads like i was basically living in forza horizon mm. where you just go and drive all the roads find out where they lead find out where they go to yeah, yeah. oh this is someone's somewhere. driveway sorry yeah. <laughs> like, so for, for me probably my two biggest passions in life outside outside of family just Cars and music, and yeah. if I can experience the two together, which I generally do every time I get behind the wheel, then I'm in my happy place, and that's so important, you know. The, yeah. In a in a life where where we're constantly under pressure to perform, we we feel like we're being judged, and I know that that you know, with what you do with Tacona, you're, you're very very aware of yeah. the effects of, of life around people uh, and how it affects them and builds, you know, affects your mind, affect you know, kind of puts you in a position where you feel like it's too much or you, you people expect more of you than you can deliver. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and just to have that place where you can be at one and you can sit there and drive a car, you can listen to music, you can be wherever you want to be. Yeah. For that little escape, sometimes in one day, that, that 10, 15 minutes where you escape makes all the difference. It's invaluable. And there's a, I have a running joke with my other half. When I get home, I will sit for like two or three minutes just in the car. Mm. Right, I'll, engine's off. I'll just sit. I'll reply to a couple of messages on my phone. And I'll just have like two or three minutes where I'm just yep. sat in a little bubble for complete isolation. Yep. And then she always comes out and knocks on the window. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, there's the bubble burst. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because I don't like my other half. No. I love her to pieces. No, She's I'm my so, favourite exactly person the in the world. But exactly it's just, it's a couple of minutes where I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I'm not moving. I've got nothing around me. There's no like inputs or outputs or anything required. Yeah. I can just sit for a couple of minutes and just, ah. <sighs> and then it invariably is, I get a message from her or she walks out and knocks on the glass. She's like, right, we're back into the world now. I'm like, okay, right. I've got to be a person again. Um, but it is that little bubble. And my drive home, fortunately from my day job is in the summer anyway, I take the country lanes yeah. and I can just really enjoy either going really quickly in the 86 and trying to go as fast as possible. Like I try and see how quickly I can do my commute without breaking the speed limit because yeah. it's all tight roads. You never really go past 60. So you, it's a, how close can I get to 60 around every corner and that's my challenge is like, <laughs> don't I'm, hold back yeah, yeah I've, I've got it down from a 40 minute drive to a 25 minute drive just because I'm learning the corners there you see and I then, used to have a 54 mile commute when I worked at General Motors I was based at uh, Vauxhall head office in Luton and it was an hour and a half each way 
and that three hours a day, I didn't realise how much I valued it until I stopped doing it. Yeah. Uh, and when I stopped doing it and was working from home, uh, absolutely no offence at all to my family who are brilliant and, and very, very supportive and, and great to be around, but I didn't have that, that oh, time. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, I it's, it. it's really strange how much it values, like how much value it can add into your day and into your life. And a lot of people like this podcast will probably be listened to by people commuting in the car. Yeah. Like I know um, Jared from the Backroads TM, um, he that's his commute is if he has to go into the office he commutes yeah. he puts a podcast on and he that's his time in his world in his space and he drives around and he listens to other people talk for 40 minutes or whatever and it's it's great for people's mental well-being as well as how they feel as a person to just have a little bit of me time yeah. with no expectations the only downside is you have to really concentrate on the morons on the road <laughs> <laughs> it's also really reassuring though isn't it when, when in an environment like this um, like you and I having a conversation here. I mean, we, we, we don't know each other at all, but we do know that we have got a very, very strong common passion. Yeah. Um, and that means that whenever we meet again, yeah, like yeah. our boats, because you know that you've got that Exactly. Connection. And that is the Tacona idea in a nutshell. Is yeah. We don't have to know each other very well. We just have to know that we like cars and yeah. we've got something to connect over. Yeah. And it bridges gaps in all different ways. Like we're from like different kind of generation so we yeah. grew up with different world right. experiences and, <laughs> well you are slightly older than me <laughs> cheers <laughs> um, but we, we've got different world experiences yeah. and we come from different backgrounds and different geographical locations and different lifestyles yeah. and even people that come from like mega wealth and people yeah. that have never seen more than 50 quid in the bank they will connect over cars like I've had experiences that would never in a million years have happened if it weren't for cars like spent a night with about 50 million quids worth of supercars because a guy liked what I was doing. And he was like, oh yeah, come to my garage and just take a photo of your t-shirt on this McLaren that inspired the design behind it. And it's, well, if it weren't for cars, I would have never have entered that kind of environment ever. Yeah. Why, what other reason would I have to go to the centre of London to an underground office complex car park full of million pound supercars? Yeah. And the thing is like, you know, have the conversation we've had today because we've, we've, Chatted earlier and ch- chatted now. I get I get the vibe. I can trust you, and and that's yeah because I know what you do. I respect what you do. I appreciate it, and, and I know that if I was in a situation where actually if you were the only person around and I needed someone to confide in, I'd be quite happy to do that. But if you weren't a car guy, I probably wouldn't have. We would that. have never have connected if we weren't car never guys. Met. Like, in, in what reason would life have brought us together? We'd, we'd never met, and, and that goes back to the beauty of. of social media which which you know it puts a lot of pressure on us and it, it does a lot of negative things but its ability to bring like-minded people together is fantastic and yeah and some of my closest friends i've met online exactly and the difficulty is that is a very two-sided scenario because it yeah. brings like-minded people together in a great way it brings like-minded people together who are absolute morons and then they all go yes oh we're all thinking the same thing therefore we must be right yes <laughs> yeah exactly so we're all morons <laughs> that think old 90s yeah. cars were the best cars and we're, we're definitely probably wrong there <laughs> uh, at least at least let's keep it on cars and not politics yeah that's where it gets really divisive on social media oh we could it? really so, go down a rabbit hole yeah. there, which is not my intention at all no, 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 and no, I, I don't know enough about that kind of stuff to have any sort of valid opinion opinion anyway um, well uh, just be nice to each other media, I don't think many people do, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> trying to be nice to each other seems to be a difficult thing to promote these days <laughs> yeah why is that why, why can we not just be nice to each other i mean that's and, and again it's going back to it you know i know that if i go to a car event of a weekend then 
I will be surrounded by people who are generally being nice to each other, and that makes a massive difference to your mental welfare because yeah. you actually see people being kind to each other and helping each other and, and just enjoying each other's company rather than being up against each other all the time, which is what we seem conditioned as a society to have to want to do or be, be, be told we want to do. Yeah, I think it, it comes from that you always have to be doing better. So you have yeah, to do better than you did before and you have to grow and you have to endlessly be improving and that therefore means that you are going to judge yourself against other people yeah. and you therefore hate other people because if someone's doing anything better than you that therefore means you're failing so you hate that person for it and it really takes a bit of time to go no that's not how it so needs the, the to be that upsets <laughs> me most is in, and, and the entire the, the whole of society seems geared towards it but it's like wealth as a sign of betterment yeah and it's like you know i i don't give a shit whether someone's got billions of pounds in the bank or they're down to their last fiver. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I don't judge them as a person for, no. for that reason. I never would. But it seems that a lot of people in society do. There's a, a lot of um, like value given to money, yeah. which is the kind of the, the world that we live in, unfortunately. Because well, I drive generally drive a 20-year-old car every day yeah. by choice. And the amount of people that you just know, they're, they're sneering at you and thinking that you're poor because you're driving an old car. Yeah. And... They would have no concept at all of the idea of the fact that I'm doing it because I enjoy it. Enjoy the car. Yeah. Like even here, when the Renault was parked outside, someone had come to collect some things from their Cayenne that had been in a crash. Yeah. And she opened the door straight into the Renault, like fully thwacked it. And Luke very kindly went, what are you doing? She went, oh, it's an old car. Who cares? And she, he went, the person who owns that car cares. <laughs> it's not so your car. Annoying. Treat it with respect. So annoying. And I, I get... People who, you know, local to me, who, who just don't like my cars because they're old. Yeah, it's, you know, it's I'm not oh, Why aren't you driving a brand new BMW? It's like, exactly. well, I don't want a brand new BMW. Have you seen the front of one for a start? Exactly. <laughs> the, the irony being that, that I'm at a stage in my life now where if, if I wanted to, I've never looked into it, but if I wanted to, I could probably go out and buy a brand new car on finance. I don't think I'd, I'd be... I don't struggle. Struggle too badly to, to do I wouldn't make a massive sacrifice to have to do it. Yeah. But I'd rather not. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see the point. And don't get me wrong, if I see a car that I really like and it's £10,000, I might go, actually, I might treat myself because I've never spent that amount of money on a car before. Yeah. So if it was the right thing, and we're talking, you know, maybe a, a sort of late 80s, sort of mid 80s Rover SD1 Vitesse or something like that. Got one of I'd those be all turn over up it at coffees and cars. Sorry? Had one of those turn up at coffees and cars. You see, if that was for sale, that, that's when I might, <laughs> might have got the bank loan out. But until that car comes along, yeah, I just yeah. happily drive around in a £1,000 car and not care. No, and then it, you don't have to worry about it as much. Like, I'm constantly worried that something's going to happen to the 86. And that's not even a high-value car or anything like that. Yeah, it's but it's my baby. All over, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to try my best to keep hold of it for yeah. as long as I possibly can. And hopefully, as Tacona grows, it means that I can yeah. utilise it for the, the business. Well, one of the few cars that I actually get genuinely excited about. That. I love it. Absolutely love it. It has been a pain in the arse several times, but I genuinely love that car. Hmm. And... The thing that I get annoyed at is that I drive it too much because then I become a little bit more numb to it. And then when I get the Renault out on the road and I spend three, four weeks driving that every day and then every so often I jump back in the 86, I'm like, oh my God, this thing's amazing. <laughs> Steering's connected. <laughs> yeah, it's so What's fast. Money, no object car? If you, if you... Oh, if I had a money, no object scenario. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I'm so cliche. Like, I'd be like, oh, I want a Ferrari F50. Like, yeah. Something like that really would get me excited. But then... I sat in a singer recently. Yeah. And that was oh gorgeous. And it's 
a classic, yeah. but done with some modern like reimagining, that'd probably be quite high up the list. Or something wild like an XJR9. That yeah, would that'd be, be quite a, cool, wouldn't it? But I'm not. I don't know because I, I grew up. The book that I grew up reading endlessly was a book on supercars from yeah. the mid '90s, maybe early noughties, and it had a picture of the McLaren F1 on the front. So that's the that was like my Bible as a kid, and as a child that was brought yeah. up as a Jehovah's Witness, I picked that up more than the Bible, and that yeah. was probably frowned upon because they were all really <laughs> into the Bible. Um, but that was my thing was all the supercars, so the F40 and the F50 and the F1 yeah. and. All of that stuff was what I literally just churned through reading this book over and over again, learning all yeah. the stats and top trumps and all that sort of thing. Whereas as I've grown up, I've developed a much more of an appreciation for stuff that wasn't considered like supercars. Yeah. So even like mundane things like E36 318Ts, I passed one on the way here. Yeah. Uh, is it a TI or a TS or a TSR, something like that? And it had the little lip, the little spoiler off the M3 on it oh, with yeah, the brake yeah, lighting yeah. and yeah. this. I just drove past like, oh, that's brilliant. It's only a one point. It's only the one eight or the three one eight or whatever. But that's so cool. And this guy was just driving it like a car. And as I've kind of matured a little bit, I still love supercars, but they have their place and they don't excite like they used to as a child. And as you spend more time in the car world, you see them far more often, and then they become less it. Like new supercars, I'm not overtly following any of it. I don't really. I got invited. I say invited. Someone said, oh, there's a new Chiron being open they're opening the box that's got it inside yeah. in Mayfair do you want to go and have a look at it and I was like not really it's going to be about a thousand people all with selfie sticks going oh look a Chiron yeah. and it's going to be boring and then I went to an old car thing had an amazing time met some interesting people looked at some mundane old cars that nobody else would get excited about yeah. had a cracking day of it and then went, oh, it was um, the We Are Scramblers the rally thing yeah which obviously isn't mundane stuff, but there was like a Rothmans 911 there, a rally yeah. spec one. And I was like, "That's proper. holy crap, a Rothmans yeah. 911 rally spec. You see, that, 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 that would, brings me around to my sort of money now object car, which would be a um, Delta Integrale. Oh, there was it's a yellow one. At, such a wonderful uh, looking car. Oh, where was it? It was, oh, you know, An- Anstead. Yep. And how he did the, the Tipo 184 thing that's on top of an MX-5. Yep. Um, and then he got into wheeler dealers. Well, that's based in Ware in Hertfordshire, um, near Hartford. And I forgot what the, it's something classics. Well, they had a meet on there on Saturday because the wheeler dealers are back in the UK and they were doing a little yeah. bit of promo and it was based there when I mean, it was like 20 minutes from home. So I went there and a bright yellow Integrale HF, I think, yeah. turned up with the spoiler at full attack and with the grey racing like aero fin wheels. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, yeah, look at right. that. It's so cool. And uh, my Matt, who I mentioned earlier, he came with me and he loves Renault Clio Sports. Yep. And there's a line of about six of them. And he was like, oh my God, look at all these Renault Clio. <laughs> so I was like, you've got one. He's like, no, but look at these ones. Oh, we're quite tragic really, aren't we? It's <laughs> that sort of stuff like most normal normal people that aren't into cars look at us and think you are so sad yeah. and he was like look this one's got gold foil heat yeah. shielding in you, the bonnet you call them a... normal people but they're not really no, everybody's got their own weirdness they're missing out on something but everybody's so, weird for something yeah. aren't they not everybody likes cars but like everybody's got a thing that they're a little bit weird for and yeah. it's one of those they've got their niche topics that, yeah. that they like and the, the trouble I have is that I like a lot of cars 
I have a really broad like, yeah. but it's only quite surface level. Yeah. So if I start getting into model numbers, I really I come apart really quickly because I like the thing and I know like oh that's that thing that I like. But then someone goes, oh yeah, that's this one with this spec, and I'm like, not a bloody clue, mate. Uh, you really see, I, no I go idea. off. I'm I'm, the, I'm grade A nerd. Uh, yeah, I, I know I am. Uh, I've. I actually don't talk about cars to non-car people because I know that I will bore them senseless. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I want to have that kind of knowledge, but my brain just doesn't work that way. You really don't want to have that kind of knowledge. It, can, it, can, <laughs> it becomes invasive right? to the extent that you're driving down the road and you'll see a car and you, you'll try and work out whether it's got the correct wheel trims for the right year and everything. <laughs> Your brain's doing things you don't want it to yeah, do. Yeah. Does it really matter? No. Wheel yeah, trims is actually. a hard one when it's moving as well. Has <laughs> that got the right, right wheel trims? I don't know. They're spinning. <laughs> well, they're grey, so it might be right. <laughs> it's when you follow it home. You yeah. stalk the car. Just wait it? to park up and no. go, oh, you've got the wrong Never wheel trims. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's not got the right alloys. Oh, I had this the other day. I um, I went to do, go and set someone's Wi-Fi up for yeah. them, and they had um, C, no, it was an E-class. Yeah. Um, I think it was an early 2000s one. And it looked like it had A-class wheels on. Yeah. And I knocked on the door and I went, oh, just want to ask, what's going on with the wheels on this? They look like they're from an A-class, which is like a modern yeah. car. And it was the guy's wife and she was like, oh, I've no idea, don't ask me. So I set up the Wi-Fi and then her phone rang and it was her husband. And he, he went, they are the right wheels. That's the first thing he said. They are the right wheels. I saw you on the ring doorbell asking about them. I just wanted to clarify, I'm the one that had them diamond cut. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I've really put my foot in it here, haven't I? I was trying to be smart. I'm like, oh, you've got the wrong wheels on that. He's like, no, I've had them painted and diamond cut, and they're the correct wheels for the car. But it was like this guy, obviously, I'd knocked on the door, and it triggered his ring doorbell, and then he's heard me going, oh, what's going on with the wheel? And then rang his wife, like, that bloody idiot doesn't know anything that he's talking about. So, uh, yeah, I, this is what I mean. I've got a really surface level, but it's, yeah. it's a very widespread surface yeah. level. And then as soon as I have to start talking about anything more than that, I'm like, beats me. Oh, I can, I can out-geek most people on cars oh. from the 1990s and early 2000s. I'm not even going to try. To the extent it's really quite sad. Like, I was chatting yesterday. Uh, I said, oh, my, my dad had a 2004 996 Turbo Cabriolet. Nice. Yep. And uh, we were like, well, when he got it, he was like, oh, it's got uh, parking sensors. That's pretty, pretty new. And then he, before that, he had an E46 M3, a 51 plate. Which also had parking sensors. We were like, "Yeah, but Dad, three years ago your other car had parking sensors, and you thought that was new as well." He's like, "Oh yeah, maybe not." I was like, "When when did parking sensors become a thing? When did they become cool? Because yeah. it had um, halogen uh, headlights as well." And he was like, "Oh, they're pretty new." We're like, "Well, the E46 had them in 2001 as well," and all this stuff that had kind of been sold as new stuff for him. And this wasn't even in 2004. This was a little bit later on. They were all like, "Oh, this is really new and modern," and this. Is- Three-year-old car had it. One of the cars in my collection is a 2001 um, Volvo V70 T5. Oh, lovely! And it's got it's just the most wonderful piece of outdated tech. <laughs> so if you press a button on the end of the steering column, this thing that looks like a tombstone rises out the top of the dashboard, <laughs> and it's the satnav unit. What? <laughs> and there's a two-dimensional map that looks like it's been drawn by a five-year-old, <laughs> and it's. The sat-nav, and you, you program it, of course, it doesn't really know where most roads are now because they've been yeah. changed since. And you've got this little flashy cursor that, that chases you across the country as you're driving. And I always put it on when I'm driving because I'm addicted to it. I bet that's hilarious It's to like watch. a retro games console. Amazing. That, that same Porsche that my dad had, that had a sat-nav. And we took it to Le Mans. 
in like 2010. So yeah. it was like six years past when the car was first programmed. And this is the the problem with sat navs. Yeah. They, they run out of date quite quickly. And we spent probably a thousand miles driving through a field, according to this sat nav. <laughs> we were just <laughs> off the map the whole way there. It was like recalculating, recalculating, recalculating the whole way there. I was like, Dad, I've got a smartphone. We'll just use that. It's like well, an most iPhone of my three cars have still got a tape player. So, so that the Renault's got um, an aftermarket CD player that's got an aux plug. So I just plug my phone. Blimey! In. Yeah, decadence. It's it's wild. And because I've got an Apple Watch, I can change the music using my watch. Because with an aux cable, you can't do controls. I've got a Bluetooth widget that plugs into the 12 volt socket. Does it convert your Bluetooth to a radio to frequency FM, yeah. and you have to yeah. tune your radio? Yeah. The, we, the only problem with that know. is that it, it transmits at 87.5 and everybody else who's got one transmits at 87.5. Oh, do you, so you not have the one that you can adjust the, You can, but you're just lazy and you put it on the default it. setting like everybody else. <laughs> so you find yourself stuck in a traffic jam on the M25 the, and you've got five people's yeah. music coming through the stereo at once. Surely that's getting less and less like frequent in its event. Yeah, now, now that more people. and more people are, are getting cars that, that don't even have CD players. Yeah, if Bluetooth days. was a thing back yeah. in the, the mid 2000s, like yeah. more, I think it, it, it's been around for a while, but if that was a more commonly used thing back then, it would have been a nightmare yeah. going on the motorway. Well, I'm just struggling to keep up, to be honest. I <laughs> <laughs> refuse to accept I'm getting older. I've, uh, I've, one of the things that I'm trying to do this year, and I've positioned it to the Backroads TM guys, is trying to do writing stuff. Yeah. I, I, have a, I really appreciate it, and I really like doing it when I do it, yeah. but I'm terrible at time management, so I never dedicate any time to sitting down and doing it. So I've tried to get them to force me to yeah. write articles for the website. And one of them is how your infotainment system is pointless unless you have Apple CarPlay, yeah. because it will immediately be redundant. And because it's all touchscreen, it's not got the haptic feel of buttons, so you won't engage with it at all. So you'll have your phone on the dashboard and the Bluetooth on, and then you just won't use this whole system that's been developed. Mm. And that's the thing. Like if, if I could have a next button, a back button, and a volume switch, that's all I need. That's all you really need, yeah. Yeah, because my phone's on a, on a holder for my yeah. sat-nav, so I only need those. And I want them to be buttons that feel nice to touch, mm. so that when I'm driving, I can reach over and press it without having to look. Because a, a bloody touchscreen, you have to figure out, oh, where on the touchscreen do I need to press? Yep. And then you're not looking at the road. Yes. <laughs> and that, that's one of my written pieces. So if I say it recorded, someone might hold me to it. So you're going to write that bloody thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, true though, isn't it? It's... It evolves so quickly. And then you, you kind of get left behind. You're like, oh, right, I can get Waze up on a screen on my phone, yeah. on, in the car, and my phone can stay in the glove box that way. And then you get in a Renault 5, and you're like... Yeah. Which one of these buttons works? <laughs> it's a different world. You, you realise you're getting older when you mention Facebook to somebody who's 20 years younger than you and they go, oh, that's for old people. It is, yeah. yeah. And it's, well, just this week they had a huge stock drop because a load of people have left. Because everyone's moving too young on. for it. Everyone's moving on from yeah. it. And uh, one of the richest men in the world lost 29 billion in his net worth. He could probably afford to, though, couldn't he? Yeah, he's gone from, like, 8th to 12th richest man in the world now. And everyone's oh, like, oh, oh, poor, poor you. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, boo-hoo. Um, but, yeah. It's, He'll get by. Yeah. It's, it's one of those... I mentioned that I have a TikTok account yesterday, yeah. a classic car thing, and about six people like, hey, oh, you think you're a youngster, do you? I'm like, I've got a brand, and that's where people look at things. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's, I believe it's the way forward. Well, it's why, like, when that first started, I was, again, like, oh, this is a... It's going to be a pain in the ass. I've got all these like, teenagers just dancing on it. Yeah. And now it's got advertising accounts and business accounts. And you it's can... incredible how quickly it's grown, isn't it? And it's wild. And having a brand means that I have to kind of keep up with it. 
because yeah. I have to be where people are looking at things. That's the same. Working in PR, you have to be aware of, of you know where where people are getting their information from. Yeah. And uh, certain brands that I work for are appealing to different people, so you have to be across the whole lot. You know? yeah, yeah. So one of the brands that I represent, for example, Facebook is still their heartland because they're they're talking to people my age who you know sort of in the forties, which is yeah. yeah. And the yeah. difficulty for me as a brand is that I'm relatively broad in my demographic yeah. so i've got people that are teenagers and first cars and things like that yeah but then i've also got classic car owners that yeah. are in their 50s and 60s that are interested in it because of the the broad space that it you occupies. should be proud of that appeal though lewis really it's, it's well, great it, that you've got that yeah, interest from from all levels it's good so. but it means that when I'm trying to target any sort of adverts, yeah. I have to have it on the broadest thing. I'm like, well, I'm going to get seen by about four people. Whereas if I was only appealing to 17-year-olds specifically, I could appeal to all of them for the True. same cost. True. Um, yeah. But that, that's the whole idea is that Tacona is something that changes the mindset of the culture. It's not just yeah. we're appealing to 12-year-olds that are yeah. going to like cars in the future. It's like, right, let's try and get as many people as we can. But it means uh, that, Also, um, you have, you know, people that age probably don't realise yet some of the challenges that my life have for them. So, yeah. you know, to, to, to give them an understanding at an early age that, you know, the, the ideal life that they may perceive at that age. Because let's face it, when we're, when we're kids, we all believe life's going to be perfect when we're older, unless... You, know, you get a job and you earn millions of pounds and you go on holiday all the time and have yeah. nice cars, and that's, yeah, that's how that, life goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the people that it don't have that are that just it wrong. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And then you get to an adult and you go, right, I'll try and start my own business and make yeah. those kind of things happen. You're like... Oh bloody hell! This is tough, isn't it? Yeah, this this adult to the things. No, it's, it's no, no fun. It's no. not. It's not easy. Uh, childhood <laughs> is just a free trial, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> yeah. But it, in kind of positive terms, around that, mental health and talking is becoming yeah. a little bit more prominent through the younger generations. Like I saw this thing. It's it was really like, encouraging to see. I mean, I yeah. I, I come from a, a a fairly sort of traditional northern family um, where I don't think for a minute that that. I would have ever been judged for for saying that you know I was struggling or anything like that. It just didn't seem appropriate. Yeah, to say yeah. It. Uh, and and that was the the background in which I grew up. And I, I faced some pretty tough mental health challenges myself. Particularly for me, they came in my thirties rather than my twenties or, or, or my teens. And yeah. I'd sort of just gone through the motions. I got through, uh, you know. On paper, I had the perfect life. I had a young family. I had a good job. Yeah, you know all the things that people aspire to. To the point that when I started to feel down, I found it really hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, like, well, why should I feel like crap? Yeah, why, so why should I feel that... like that? And then people, no one's going to sympathise with me. Nobody's going to be, you know, no, no one's going to look at me with any sense of sympathy or empathy because yeah. they're going to go. Oh, I think we're going to get up. an interruption. So, Dennis is coming to shout at me for using his boardroom. I'm pause. So. so, so um, yeah, you know, I kind of I found myself in a situation where I was I was really really struggling and I didn't know what to do and and it, it couldn't feel like I had anybody to talk to couldn't yeah. talk about it so I did probably the sensible thing to do at the time and I actually went and sought medical help uh, so which is a brave step to be fair not many people step. do it a lot of people don't and, and they don't realise that they can now unfortunately and I'm not going to be negative. Um, towards the system here because I do believe that it's there and it does help but for me it was almost like yeah they, I was given a prescription um, and in, I guess the, the sense is that you start taking tablets and it makes everything perfect yeah yeah and it doesn't no 
It doesn't. Um, it, it just desensitises the extremes of your feelings. Yeah. And I was never, and I would never ever make light of the subject, I was never at the point where I was so bad that I would have self-harmed or, or anything like that. Yeah. I was just really low, you know. Yeah. Never self-harmed. I would never have done anything that would affect my family, to, to the best of my knowledge at least, apart from possibly being a shit mood or upset them or, yeah. you know, certainly not, nothing with any knowledge um, that, that I would have done. I'm sure I did at some point. Um, but, there were, I don't know, it's like almost there's your tablets go away. And I felt a bit isolated by that. Yeah. And actually, if a couple of years later, I got talking to some friends of mine, uh, and I alluded to it when we were talking earlier, but um, I'd had some very difficult times at work, and uh, I realised that a couple of people I'd met through social media, through car groups, were actually facing similar problems, and we opened up to each other. Yeah. Uh, and it was the most important thing that, that I did, and that, that I believe at least one of them did as well, because he was much further down the line than I was, I found out later, um, in, in terms of you know the damage he could have done to himself. So... Um, the fact that we had that conversation and it all comes back to the passion and enthusiasm for cars that you talk about. Yeah, of course. Um, so you'd be surprised how many people, even just I've spoken to, um, where it's been, Oh, I was feeling difficult and I I spoke to a friend and it turned out they were in the same boat. And then it turned out seven or eight people that we knew were all in the same boat, but nobody felt that they could take that step and go, I'm struggling. Well, since then I, I, I kind of, I opened up about it a lot more um, to, to friends of mine because I realised this and uh, uh, then started to try and do, you know, raise awareness myself. And then, tragically, uh, a few a few months later, um, lost a very good friend um, because of a mental health problem that, that none of us really knew was as bad yeah. as we thought it was. And, and that, to me, having been part the way down that path um, and worked or found friends of mine who were in a similar position to, to then lose somebody that we cared about was a real eye-opener and since then I've done my best uh, to be an ambassador where I can for, for mental health and to support I mean Calm as a charity is one that I support a lot because yeah. they've done a lot for, for his family since as well um, and I now will talk proudly and openly uh, about the fact that I've struggled um, because I will do that for other people. Well, it, it sets a precedent, doesn't it? it, it, it yeah. the, the thing that it, talking about it does is it lets other people know that yeah. they don't have to hide. Like, they don't have to hide. It's, look, it's hard to get over, like to take that first step. That you go, oh, I'm finding it tough. And yeah. if someone opens that door for you, it's much easier to step through. And having people like yourself just, that, just knowing that, that, that happens to talk. Celebrities that, that are honest about I mean, one, one of my favourite people um, in the public eye at the moment is um, Sam Fender. Oh yeah, yeah, who is a brilliant musician, but he's also been very, very open about his own challenges, which come from yeah. you know the, the struggles he faced growing up in a working class family, dealing with parents being divorced and having no money, and his mum being depressed, and, and how he coped with it all. Uh, and to what he's done uh, in the past two years to destigmatize mental health. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's someone that, if I could, I would he's, give him a hoodie oh, and ask him to wear it as much as possible. I, and think help. He, I think he's a wonderful guy, and I think he's done so much for for acceptance of that notion that it's okay to talk. Yeah, it's another guy that's good for it is um, James Acaster, the oh, comedian. Oh, yeah, absolutely, fantastic yeah, yeah. about it. And he's he's got a podcast um, that I listen to all the time, and it's about music. Yeah, 
and how his he believes that 2016 was the best year for music of all time. And he yeah. shares an album with a different person each week, and they talk. They they have listened to it, and then they talk about it. Yeah. And then he goes, "So, do you agree that 2016 is the best album?" But the opening intro every time is, "I'm James A. Custer. In 2017, I had a breakdown, and then I listened to a load of music from 2016 to deal with it. So, I'm going to talk about music 2016 because it helped me deal with the breakdown." And he's really open and honest about yeah. mental health struggles and how difficult things can be. And even in one of his stand-ups, he talks about how he called the Samaritans. Yeah. And he was like, I felt like I couldn't really explain what was going on because it'd be immediately obvious who it was. And they're like, oh, what's up? And he's like, oh, I can't say I'm about to go on like the Royal Variety show and I'm <laughs> shitting myself. Because <laughs> then they're like, oh, which one are you? And then he's like, I, I don't want this person from the Samaritans to know who it is. So he made up this whole lie story and it was got off on a wild tangent and that. And he's like, but I still called them and it, it helped. Yeah. Like, even though I wasn't telling the, the full truth, it helped take the edge off. And one of the things when I get asked, like, how do I deal with things or who do I speak to? I go, call those places because although you might feel like you're only supposed to call them if you are at a very yeah. difficult breaking point, it's not true. they will help you prevent getting to that point. That's the yeah. whole point of them. They'd rather help you not get that far yeah. and use the resource for that than only be able value to people when they're at that point because they'll have a far better reach if they can stop as many people as possible from, from going too far down that, that oh, path. Just, just the value of somebody listening to you. You, know, you, you, you feel... You, if you can get past the barrier of, of feeling selfish by talking about your own mental health, which is a massive barrier for some people, because they yeah. think, you know, what have I got to complain about, really? That was, that was it for me. You know, I had a very comfortable life at the time, and it just didn't compute. It was only when I looked at the sequence of events that had led to that if you like yeah when i took time out to to work out how i got there i kind of saw a lot and thought shitting hell i had a lot more to deal with than i thought i did yeah yeah you know things that you don't even think about till you think about them. it's that hindsight thing isn't yeah, it where you can thing. sit back and look at things as yeah. a bigger picture and see exactly what's going but on but I've, I've now learned uh, and i've seen this i mean i play rugby and there's the guys in my team who have seen you start to recognize the triggers in other people yeah uh, and actually, without being too over the top about you know referencing mental health, because some people are still so stigmatised by it, yeah. just going up to somebody who you care about and you recognise isn't themselves and saying, you okay? Yeah. Actually makes a huge difference. Because they might go, yeah, leave me alone. And at least you kind of know that they're not, but they're not ready yet. But, but they know that someone's yeah, cares. They, they know someone cares. And, and, and similarly, you know, sometimes that person will just say actually I'm not and the next thing you know you're chatting for an hour yeah yeah uh, and what you're doing is, is a huge catharsis for them um, but it's just listening like, yeah. all, a lot of people feel like it's difficult to ask if people are okay because they don't know how to help if they're not yeah. and a big part of it is you Especially don't necessarily oh exactly you don't necessarily have to have the answers for people yeah like someone could come to you and say exactly what's going on you don't have to go oh here's how to fix all that no. and not more often than not, that will probably not help by trying to give them answers. And go, oh, just do this, this, yes, and this, and it'll fix it. What they, what and they're like, well, oh, if it was that easy, I would have done it. And it, yeah. it causes a different thing. But just listening and empathising and going, I can appreciate how that's difficult. I understand that must be really hard. I'm here for you to just vent and get it off your chest. Yeah. We'll do more good than like, all right, okay. Or in our community, yeah. I'll tell you what, let's go for a drive. Let's go for a drive. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's yeah. let's have a bacon sarnie and look at some interesting mid-90s cars and it'll do more good than... We, we, we don't even need to talk about the elephant in the room to start with. We just... Exactly. Yeah. And that, again, is what Coffees and Cars is all about <laughs> yeah. because it's bringing people together and it doesn't have to be, 
let's all come here and hold hands and cry about all the things that are difficult. It's let's just be around people and enjoy being around people. And that's yeah. enough to take the edge off to start with. And as you develop the friendships and the connections with people, these are people that are all in the same boat saying, right, if things get tough, we can, you can confide yeah. in me. And that's where that community hopefully is the direction it's going to grow in is that you don't have to turn up and have to get things off your chest and have like an hour conversation about how crap things can be. But when things grow in your community and your relationships with these people develop, there is this understanding that if that is needed, it's available. Yeah. And hopefully as more people get involved with it and it grows, that will become more prevalent and then that is the thing that will help change the, the cultural mentality. It's, it's having the knowledge, isn't it? The, just, just the confidence that you can talk about it without being judged and without being... Yeah. And you know, which nobody should ever be judged for something that they can't help. No, exactly. And so, we've talked about it briefly about like workplace mentality and how that's not providing a, like a healthy way to deal with mental health. It's literally like, oh, you're a replaceable part. We'll just, we won't do anything to change. We'll give you this employee assistance program so you can yeah. have a coping mechanism for how crap your job is. There, there are, are a lot of corporate organisations that really need to take a step back. And, and you know, the, the, the problem is they're, they're given these programs that are put together by experts, so-called experts, yeah. who, who are basically from an HR or law background, and they say, well, you do this, you cover your ass, you know, you can show that you offered employee A all of the assistance they required and they didn't take it, so therefore it's not unfair dismissal that you got yeah. rid of them. Well, that's not really fixing the problem, is it? No. And that you just it's replace that person with another person that ends up in the same boat, and then yeah, you exactly. replace that person, and it's just a never-ending churning cycle. Yeah. And yeah. I think... Sometimes, you know, society, our expectations to perform, our constant fear of underperforming and being judged at what, you know, what we do or, yeah. or how we present what we do is it's a challenge for people, particularly, you know, young people who are trying to build their careers. And, and, and know, a lot of people will go too far when they're young. They will give yeah. too much of themselves for a job. Yeah, you can to... never get it back. No, and then it's a ratcheted system as well. Once yeah. you start working till six, it's instead of five, and yep. once you start agreeing to do things out of your own personal time, they oh, expect it. it becomes expected, yep. and you can't go back to yeah, I'm just doing nine to five. <laughs> yeah, you kind of, and, and part of that is, was because I felt in myself that you know by performing to the absolute best I could, I was doing myself a favour. I wasn't. No, and I've but had hindsight. This, I've had this conversation more than once within a working environment and said, so when did doing the job that you pay me for not become good enough? Yeah. It's like, we agreed, this is what you want me to do for you as a job. I do those things and now that's not enough. Like you're expected to go above and beyond in everything that you do. And you're like, okay, well let's put that into the agreement and I'll stick to our agreement. And it's it's never enough these days. And then the people that are doing the job that they were paid to do to a good standard are overlooked for any sort of progression because someone's given all of their evenings up to yeah. come and do a bit extra and they oh look at that they're really dedicated it's like so now everybody has to do that just to be at the same level yeah that's the it, peer pressure all over again isn't and it's it same, wild. Same and then, peer pressure you have when you're 12 years old is there when you're 22 32 it's horrible and it's a real difficult environment for people to work in because you just burn out you can't do that consistently and now there's conversation about, oh, I'll just do a four-day work week. And I was like, oh, my God, that'd be amazing because we can be as productive as we are and have enough time to recuperate. And then all the corporations are like, oh, no. I'm oh, sorry, I pre- appreciate your time. time. <laughs> one, one of the things, one of the positives, I think, that came out of, of lockdown and the sheer number of people that were working from home was that 
some companies, and not all companies, but some of them actually realised they could trust their employees. Yeah. And and that working culture has improved some people's lives at least. Yeah, I agree. I think that was it's been a real benefit for a lot of people that working from home is it was almost forced to be a viable option. Even yeah. though it's been a viable option for so long. Oh, now yeah. companies no, they, were forced to go, Oh, you'll have to do this from home and then people kept doing their jobs and they're like yeah. Oh right, people aren't just going to sit on the sofa pretending they're on the laptop all day. The amount of time and fuel I wasted just to be seen in the office yeah. a few years ago, whereas in reality I really could have been at home. Yeah, exactly. On Wi-Fi, doing everything I was. I think they didn't realise that people would get bored really quickly with nothing to do, so they would actually just do their jobs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it keeps you busy, and then you value your free time. <laughs> There's only so much air frying you can do. Isn't yeah, there? Like, <laughs> my Xbox gets boring after about two days of it. Like I'll just go and do some work. <laughs> Um, but it, it's been genuinely this we only thought we were going to be sat here for about half yeah. an hour probably about the hour mark to be fair oh fair enough well um, probably, probably a good time to, uh, to is, wrap it up isn't it But it's been a genuinely yeah. nice chat and no, really like it. And, you know, feel, feel free to, to use some of that uh, if, it, if it helps you yeah, the, the, the latest stuff it took me a while to build up to it to be honest because I still don't talk about it as openly as I should I'm, well I'm if quite, it's okay with you I'll keep it all in yeah please do it's a podcast so I can because I'm quite happy to, to talk to anyone sometimes you just need to sort of you have to warm up. To warm up to get the oil together, going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is what I said before I click record that you you'll get used to yeah. just chatting and it will become more natural. And I think I've had probably four or five people that initially you start in. Oh my god, I'm on a, this is on a microphone and people are going to be able to hear me. And after about fifteen minutes, you're just chatting away and it's part of conversation. Well, I don't mind that so much because I've been on microphones and cameras, you know, all yeah. my career. But yeah. it's just the. Not not knowing where we're going is always a bit, a bit well, funny, but yeah. The, yeah, the so. whole idea of this is is just communicate. It's just have a conversation. Conversations don't have to be in any Perfect. way formatted or scripted or have a plan. You can just talk to people and see where you go. And that's the whole point of this. If anybody has ever met me before, they know that I don't generally have a plan. Yeah, I know roughly what I'd like to happen. Like I'd like to create clothing that gets makes a difference yeah. and helps people and gets seen and all that sort of thing. But specifically, I've no idea what I'm going to do to do yeah. that. And I'm just going to bounce around and enjoy myself figuring out what's happening. Yeah. And most of the things that you enjoy are just the journey. Yeah. You enjoy finding out where things are going to go. And you enjoy doing things without really having an idea of what's going to happen at the end. But talk, talking to people just about themselves is always really interesting as well. Because people don't yeah. do it enough. I had someone the other day go, oh, are you not going to run out of guests? I was like, well, there's enough people that are interested, so we'll be fine. <laughs> I've got one lined up for you, actually. I'll give you his details and um, oh, I'll check if he's okay to do it first. But I know a lad, he's, he's only 19, and he has rescued uh, 30 cars now from inside the ULES zone. Oh, I think I've seen photos of this, because I would love to be the ULES rescuer if I had space to do it. Well, that's why I thought he'd be a really good Amazing, um, yeah, definitely. So, so Jude Curry, his name is. He's, he's only a young lad, but he's... Um, I think I've seen some photos of him. Yeah. I think they have popped up because I was like, legend, absolute just, legend. I mean, I've, I've had two cars from him because he had nowhere to keep them. He's like, yeah. can anybody take these off my hands? Well, what I should do is we should sit down and chat with him and then we should yeah. pitch the idea to like Discovery Channel and we'll be called the ULES Rescuers or something like that. The, 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 thing, the thing with him, we're not on podcast now, I just talk, talk about I'll, him, but I'll click just, stop. Right, yeah. I'll click stop yeah. now and then we'll yeah. have a, a quick chat yeah. about this idea. So that was... The very lovely Craig Cheatham uh, opening up very kindly into some histories of where he's been working, what he's been doing, a bit of mental health stuff. Um, 
absolutely fantastic to have him on and uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, you can find everything that's going on in the world of Tacona on the usual social media channels and on the website. And if you are kind enough to have subscribed to our newsletter, you'll get first insights onto most things that are happening. So I will see you on the next one. Thank <music> you.